It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. It's 12 minutes after 8. Thank you so much for tuning in. On the Forum at 8 this morning, we focus on what seems to be an increase in female leaders currently in world positions. Very powerful positions, one must add. In August 2015, uh, UN Women indicated that worldwide there were 11 female heads of state and 10 heads of government. And this month, we saw Theresa May become Prime Minister of Britain amid swift political change there. And she joins a number of other powerful European female politicians Political figures, the most powerful of whom is uh, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And since Hillary Clinton uh, became the Democratic presidential candidate, uh, there is the prospect, of course, that America could uh, get their first female president. And then we have multinational institutions such as the IMF and the AU that are also led by women and a number of countries such as Liberia, Bangladesh, South Korea, Mauritius and Taiwan also being led by women. So this morning we ask, does the appointment of women into leadership positions uh, necessarily translate into the advancement of the gender agenda? Uh, what will the impact of uh, yes, having an increased number of women leaders as head of governments and multinational bodies have on the world overall and the way in which things are done? That's what we're discussing this morning. And uh, we are joined by Professor Somatota Fikeni, policy and political analyst and and he joins us from our Pretoria studio. Professor, thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. Good morning to you, Sakina, and good morning to all your listeners. So you've penned a few thoughts on this, but I want to start uh, with uh, a point of contention that's already been raised by uh, some of our listeners who want to know uh, basically the role of men and the position that men would take in advancing the gender agenda, basically. Well, you do have some very few men who are very conscientious who will drive the gender agenda and try to give opportunity to women. And we've had that instance in our case, just like Oar Tambo seemed to have been particular about that. And uh, the previous uh, former president, Tabombeki, he tried his best to always raise this particular matter. So ANC and other organizations have raised the question of uh, gender mainstreaming in terms of appointments. But that in itself, ironically, occurs in South Africa at the time when the women's movement driving and fighting for women's issues seem to have collapsed in a sense of being uh, transcendent of partisan consents. Uh, very much now you do have the leagues which are linked to political parties and they really organize across political parties in order to raise issues of women. And if we look at what's happening across the world currently, um, you know, some very interesting developments because we are seeing a wave of women who are taking uh, power in very influential positions. But are we surprised by the emergence of these female leaders? We ought not to have been surprised in the 21st century, especially when 60% of world university graduates happen to be women. And this ought to have happened some time ago. Just imagine a country like the United States of America. It's only celebrating the fact that you have a woman as a candidate for a major party, not even as a president yet. And uh, it means they've never ever entertained or even given space 
to women to hold such high positions. So that in itself, I think, is quite a shame in terms of gender equity and the gender issues in the world. So why has it taken so long? I mean, uh, what does that speak to? And especially as it pertains to men and, again, their role in advancing gender equity. Well, remember that patriarchy is a form of a hegemonic power structure. And it has been a dominant factor more so when you deal with the heads of states and the interstate affairs where mainly your gunboat diplomacy wars, geopolitical issues and competition seem to be a dominant factor. And in this particular space, it is often thought wrongly or rightly that women wouldn't do well in leading countries during the time of crisis and wars. That is now a patriarchal view. And uh, even in instances where you have had very strong women such as Margaret Thatcher, she hardly ever advanced women's agenda. She fell into the very same space of Cold War, the wars. You remember that she was even branded an iron lady, trying very hard to fit into the male world, where machismo and also demonstrating that you could conquer, you could lead country in wars, was the main preoccupation rather than issues affecting women. But, but doesn't that speak to the barriers that women face uh, in office and particularly in high office? Because uh, apart from Thatcher, I think, uh, you know, some people already talking about what's happened here at home, for example, um, with Helen Ziller, uh, with Patricia DeLille, because those are the examples that come most readily to mind. Without any doubt, I do think that women have it very hard when they operate in a male world. But it takes courage It takes consistency and sometimes political risk raising women's issues conscientiously. But in history, there seemed to be a correlationship that when women rise into leadership position due to the lobby of a well-organized, organically rooted women's movement, they seem to do well in keeping to the women agenda than when they are raised by just political incidents within their political parties, such as Theresa May, as she comes into Britain at the helm of that political system. Her main preoccupation now will be national interest. How do you negotiate Britain a better deal to have a relationship with Europe outside the European Union? and also the issues of security, the issues of immigration. And that hardly ever give her space to deal with the women's issue. But to her credit, though, she has actually appointed quite a number of secretaries who are women under her own cabinet. And if we just take a look now, uh, you know, hypothetically speaking or or wishfully looking at perhaps a Clinton presidency and then you have Merkel out in uh, Germany, uh, May uh, out in um, uh, the UK. Do you think, along with others, of course, also in Scotland and Northern Ireland who also have female leaders, do you think that that sort of combination in shaping the world could lead to greater emancipation and prosperity because the question generally is what would what sort of difference would uh, females bring as heads of the most powerful nations as compared to what their male counterparts did 
Well, I do think that in the first instance, what happens is that when you have women in higher positions, it gives younger women role models to aspire to get into those positions. That's the first one. The second one, some studies do indicate that women tend to be a lot more sensitive to social security issues, to women's related issues, to, to all kinds of things. They are not more obsessed with wars as the male ego and the machismo tend to be. So to that extent, you may have chances of world powers uh, being more focused on issues of social justice and peace than wars and all the geopolitical positionings uh, that you have. But also remember that even the UN itself has a disproportionate number of women contesting for that role. In South Africa, we also hear that you may have one of the candidates as a woman. So you do have quite a number of women uh, in the IMF. You also have the head as a woman who may come together, but it will depend on how conscious and how conscientious they are on the gender issues and social justice issues. But studies, as I said, say that when women are in power, they tend to be a lot more sensitive to children's issues, to girls' education issues, and to social security issues in general than the war. And um, just looking at uh, some of the things that have been said of late, um, especially uh, against the backdrop of feminism, where uh, there seems to be, or rather anecdotally, um, it seems to be reported that the feminist movement is in decline. So how does that then impact on uh, these female leaders and what they need to achieve in order to advance the gender agenda? Well, as I indicated, if you have these leaders rising without the philosophical, ideological, as well as lobby groups underpinning their rise, they tend not to focus or give as much attention to the issue of women emancipation as they should, because you do not have that strong constituency. And sometimes they could even be drifted into the areas that men tend to be more focused with, geopolitics, security issues, uh, arms race, and all that. And uh, it is actually an irony at this stage that the women's movement, not only in South Africa but elsewhere in the world, and the feminist movement tend to be on the decline. But also in some instances, though, One of the reasons is that the perception of a feminist movement in some places tend to be the one which is more radical uh, rather than the mainstream. And more radical at the time when the mainstream issues which used to be propagated have now been accepted as laws. Of course, their implementation and their monitoring is something else, but they have been accepted in the constitutions accepted in the mainstream. Of course, it is also an irony that the decline of a feminist movement happens at the time when the fundamentalist and sometimes conservative fanatical groups around the world are on the rise, much to the reaction to, I mean, much reacting to the non-inclusive globalization that seemed to have left some people outside. You see in places like Afghanistan, the northern regions of Pakistan, 
where you have groups which are rising against women being sent to schools. And that in itself is the kind of movement that brought up Malala, who was almost killed for propagating uh, for girls to go to school. Mm. But, you know, there are many contradictions here because um, if you look at the African continent, for example, and the AU uh, with Nkosa Zanat Lamini Zuma at the helm, uh, last year, 2015, was declared as a year of women's empowerment. But this against the backdrop, again, of um, a continent where if you walk down the corridors of power, uh, women are still widely marginalized. Uh, They still, um, you know, have to face a lot of um, consternation when it comes to applying for jobs, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, social exclusion, the issues of child marriage and uh, harmful traditional practices still in the main plague women on this continent. Certainly that is the case if anyone simply set back particularly women organizations and believe that constitutions or rise of women like Nkosa Zanazuma to the helm of the African Union Commission will do it for them, then it will be a lost opportunity. It takes an organized movement on the ground and a woman leader being held accountable and also reminded of women empowerment issues that you would have an impactful leadership. But if it happened to be a leader who rise and raise issues as policy documents, it remains an abstract issue until it is domesticated in all regions, in the civil society and elsewhere. But also for a long time, the African Union and its predecessor before the OAU had always been seen as an association of the heads of states. And they have a lot of work to do to make sure that their programs are embraced by the NGOs, by the communities, the civil societies, by regional organizations, instead of them being uh, programs which are given to the states to implement, because here you'll have an uneven implementation. So then what will it take to really and truly empower women? It will take women and men who are progressive, a man of goodwill who understand that no human advancement will take place when a majority of humanity is left behind, working together consistently in a concerted conscious effort in organized fashion in a social movement to drive the governments and transnational organizations to keep the agenda agenda alive and any leader coming to the fore whether male or female whether in government or in the private sector in the corporate sector it would take such a movement being a watchdog raising sharp issues and raising these issues during elections between elections and during the national discourse or a regional or continental discourse for this particular agenda to be brought forward. But if we take it to its very rudiments and, and, and the family unit and the, the lack of empowerment right there, doesn't that give rise to the struggles that we encounter further on in different spaces in society? Certainly. Uh, the sad story is that the family in many instances 
has collapsed. And as such, when you talk of a family, you're talking of a broken institution, when in fact it is the building block for the community. And it was within the family that you had very strong women, sometimes very strong men, who would be able to deal with some issues of abuse or issues of empowerment and becoming role models at that level, such that when children were sent to schools, you already had socialization in the direction of empowering women. Of course, it is the same family that has produced and reproduced patriarchal systems, patrilineal systems. Uh, It is something that ought to be observed. But at this particular point, though, family is in a very weak state. Well, we're speaking to Professor Somatota Fikeni this morning, and we are asking, does the appointment of women into top leadership positions translate into the advancement of the gender agenda? What are your thoughts on this? 891 is our call-in number. You can also tweet or SMS, uh, tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM, or you can SMS us on 34701. There's a question here that I want us to deal with quickly before the news uh, from Tsepo Mohale. And Tsepo makes the point, he says, lest we forget, Prof, that during Thatcher's era, there were less than six female leaders worldwide and things have changed. How do you think the fact that we now have um, 11 heads of state being female and uh, possibly getting more, how does that actually change that landscape? It does change that landscape in terms of the numbers and many role models that we have. But most important, though, when you look at the global landscape is to look at the dominant issues at any given historical moment. During Margaret Thatcher's era, it was the Cold War. At this moment, it's issues of economic development, it's issues of security in face of terrorism, it's issues of immigration and so forth. And it is within that context that women leaders would have to define themselves and put a gender dimension to that particular, uh, you know, agenda. Well, beyond it being a platitude, I suppose, and beyond it just being a policy position. But how do we go about doing that? What does true empowerment look like? It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Well, we're in conversation with Professor Somatota Fikeni, uh, who wrote to us about uh, his interest in uh, the uh, current developments that we are seeing, interesting developments at that across the world, where a wave of women are taking power. And uh, we are asking this morning whether the appointment of women into leadership positions necessarily translate into the advancement of the gender agenda. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, do you think, um, uh, what do you think the impact will be of having an increasing number of women leaders as head of government and multinational corporations. What are your thoughts? Let us know. 891 Prof, let's just look at uh, the messages coming through here. Uh, firstly, uh, to engage with this uh, tweet from Tsepo. Tsepo says, I don't feel that a woman will necessarily bring something different from a man in the corridors of power. Good leadership is not gender specific, says Tsepo. Well, I do think that uh, women do have their own way. I doubt in South Sudan, for example, if you had a woman and a man or two women, you would have had such a protracted war 
and outbreak of wars between the president and the deputy president. That is very common in the socialization of men to fight, to humiliate, to fight, to win. And sometimes you fight because it's just an ego thing. But uh, very often women would try to find a common ground in a sense. But as I said initially, if a woman is put in a male-dominated patriarchal institution, their impact is blunted by that. They may even try to mimic their male counterparts because they want to fit. As Margaret Thatcher used to remind people that I'm just like any other man, and uh, he earned uh, you know, her reputation as an iron lady, not because she was iron uh, lady on gender issues, but because of wars, the Cold War, her assertiveness in that sense. Let me read a few more messages, uh, Prof, uh, so you can get a sense of uh, where people's thinking is at. Portia Zulu says, um, no, um, in response to the question, it doesn't advance the gender agenda. Uh, it's just affronting in the name of the gender agenda. And then uh, Brian Kumalo says, when Mbeki advocated for a female president, he was insulted by women. And now they want a woman president. Uh, what do women really want? Uh, Jim Pasquale says, uh, being a woman alone does not assure being pro-women's rights. The ANC Women's League and the Rape case versus Zuma uh, as a case in point. And then um, Sloni says the only African leader that took women's empowerment emancipation to heart was actually Thomas Sankara. Kosingpile uh, Mkunu says women in leadership must advance these issues aggressively and mentor other women to positions of power. And Spiwo says some of these women are rotten apples. They want to get everything at an instant. Example, Grace Mugabe's paraffin rise, her PhD too. So how do you respond to uh, uh, to those criticisms of how females sometimes tend to advance? Well, it is true that if you want to advance the female representation in terms of percentages without accompanying, uh, you know, agenda, it is just uh, the massification of women representation without necessarily changing the content of what they carry forward. So to that extent, it becomes meaningless. But if women rise and you do have a strong constituency of women or a strong gender agenda that will have lobbied for them in the first place, then they are more likely going to do one or two things to advance women and to mainstream women. And there are instances where you do have women suppressing women, whether as domestic workers or in certain positions where it's literally just scrambling for positions and nothing else, not because you do have any solidarity of sisterhood. Well, let's take some calls on this. 0891-104-208. Does the appointment of women into uh, leadership positions translate necessarily into the advancement of the gender agenda? Do you think that it does? Helga and Weinberg in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your guests. Um, I, I don't necessarily can answer the question, but I'd like to contribute to, to the discussion mm-hmm. around, I mean, the, the examples that you give um, globally of how women have um, crashed through the glass ceiling, I think is what the term is. I, um, I, I don't think it's about crashing through the glass 
feeling. I think it's about women standing on a glass cliff. The examples that you give of Christine Lagarde, uh, Margaret Thatcher, etc., those kinds of examples, and even now with Theresa May, those women have been brought in only to clean up the mess created socially and politically by men. Theresa May, for example, nobody else wanted the leadership of, of, of Britain um, given this latest crisis of, of, of Brexit. Um, and so there's a woman that's been brought in. Christine Lagarde, however, was brought in to clean up the mess after the 2008... Are you there? Yes, we're listening. Yeah. Um, Christine Lagarde was brought in to clean up the mess of the IMF after the 2008 global economic crisis. And now she's being crucified because she could not clean up a mess created by men. Even on the continent, the former president of Malawi, um, you know, she was formidable in the way that she was going to overhaul the, the socio-economic conditions of Malawians. And what happened? Um, she, 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 she clearly couldn't, couldn't, couldn't succeed because of the mess that had been created by men. So my, the point that I want to make is that perhaps um, even in, in, in our national discourse, the discussion must change, not about the gender agenda, as, 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 you, as you put it, but more about why are we, women leaders, particularly at senior level, are put on a glass cliff to mm. um, sort out the crises, um, you know, engendered by men, no pun intended, um, and then they are, obviously they will fail because the conditions around them, when they succeed, um, um, they are usually shoved aside for men to get the glory. And when they don't succeed, it's because, oh, they're not ready for it. Or they are mainstreaming a male agenda, etc. So the discussion, for me anyway, should no longer be um, about whether we can advance a gender agenda, because I think in many situations, particularly in the corporate sector, and even politically, women have advanced, but they put on a cliff to sort out the mess firstly that men have created, and then they crash. Okay. Um, Got you there, Helga, in uh, Weinberg. Do you agree with Helga? Do you not agree? What are your views on this? Veli in Polokwane, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Well, and you? No, I'm very well. Uh, firstly, I would want to agree with uh, daughter that uh, just putting women there without necessarily having programs that seek to advance their cause is actually meaningless. And there is a one profound point that has been made, and I think this depends on individual women's socialization. There are a number of women, for instance, in the public service, when they are appointed to certain positions, they want only themselves there, suppress other women from rising up. Now, there was also one point that has been made here, and I think I want to make an emphasis on, about uh, what are the role of women political organization in the struggle towards uh, advancement of gender struggles, you know? Uh, for instance, like currently there is a view that we need to have a female president, uh, and, and I think right now is the time, and the issue is when was it not the right time? For instance, uh, like there was a view that when Mbeki was out there, he wanted uh, to, us to have a female president, uh, women's, women in the country actually insulted him, and now in this era does he want women present? Why don't we want, in, in all nine provinces currently, we don't have a single a female premier. What does that say about the gender struggles? What is it that makes us look for a female president when we don't even have a female premier? So all that I'm saying is that what the massification number of women at a senior level does not in any way or does not automatically translate into translate into the advancement of gender and women's struggle. But again, when we come to gender struggles, 
I think we need to share away from women-specific approach. I think that is my input into the discussion. But we do have female premiers in this country. Uh, we have in the Western Cape, we have where, uh, Helen Ziller, and I think it's Sylvia Lucas out in the Northern Cape. So that we do have. But uh, let's hear from Nana in Peter Maritzburg. Good morning. Thank you, Sakina. Um, I'm Prof. Um, I, I, I really appreciate your honesty, Prof. I think the uh, discussion is really um, touching on very key issues. But one thing we are actually forgetting is that the women who are out there are actually fighting against patriarchy. It's a huge institution that cannot be resolved by just a few women sitting there. And you are right by actually saying, unless there's a movement behind them, and these movements are not, uh, they are not going to stay there for a long time because patriarchy always makes sure which they, they die off after some time. So there will be a wave, I'm sure, after some time where when those women come into power and the, 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 the female movement will also be just as powerful, we'll be able to see a little bit of a chip off against this patriarchy because it's not an easy it's not an easy space for those women to be there because there is a, 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 it, there is a difficulty in actually for them to actually concentrate on women's issues when there are many issues to deal with, like your security, like you actually say, issues of social justice and all of those things. It's not because they don't want to follow the women's agenda. It's because there are many other pressing issues that seem to supersede uh, the women's agenda. And what about the fact, before I let you go, Nana, that, um, again, women, uh, like everybody else, uh, we're not a homogenous group of uh, people thinking along one line, uh, whereby, um, and, and, and I've had uh, these discussions about, you know, uh, feminism and what some women would advance. And, um, you know, I always say, in as much as I don't want a man to speak for me, I also don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want a woman to speak for me. Can I speak for myself? Is that okay with everybody? I agree. I agree 100%. It's the same thing as us when we're fighting apartheid. Remember, we had one thing that we needed to lobby against and we all did that successfully. Now that we have basically, you know, uh, moved that wall away. Each one of us has different interests. It's almost the same thing that is actually going to happen with the women's movement. So people have different interests, but there is a point where we all have to galvanize mm-hmm. and realize that what we are fighting is not something that can be fought by different people. We Absolutely. have to galvanize an energy that's going to push the patriarchal wall away so that you start creating that leveling uh, playing field. It's not going to be easy. I agree with you. Thank you so much, Nana, in Peter Maritzburg. Let's hear from Tony in Palaborwa. Good morning. Morning, Sakina and Prof. Uh, Sakina, for me, it's a, it's a question that I, I want to pose to South African women. Do we have women of that uh, stature who can push the gender agenda forward? If in South Africa, the very same women who happen to have that opportunity to be in power, they vilify other women who does the right, who do the right thing. But, 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 of course, we do. How else do you think we would have gotten to this point? And also, isn't that something that uh, we overplay this uh, notion of the PhD syndrome, where you know women are painted as these creatures who are always out to suppress and oppress other women? Because that isn't the case necessarily all the time. I mean, I am around many progressive women who are always there to look for the advancement uh, of, of other women. 
Yeah, I, I do understand your point, Sakina. But in in, the, in in most cases, you'll find that women who are supposed to be pushing those uh, the, the agenda gender are those uh, who are in power right now. But those people who are in power right now, what are they doing? They are, are, are being used to, to to vilify the ones who are doing the right thing. That, Give me that's an my example. Biggest problem. Give me an example. Do we, do, Give me an let, example let, let, of that. Look at, Let's let, let's look at the women, women what's called women's league ANC women's league and the women in parliament in the, who are in uh, the ticket of ANC. What do they do? They do they see wrong to each and every powerful woman that emerges. For example, uh, Tulima Donze. Okay, I'm going to hold my thought on that one for just the moment. But uh, you advancing a view that others are advancing as well on the other platforms, Tony. Uh, I'll get Prof to respond to that. I have a view on that as well. Arthur in Claremont, good morning. Uh, good morning, Sakina. Um, I find it a bit ironic that you've got a, a male guest there talking about women's issues. Couldn't you, couldn't you have got a... A female uh, a guest to talk about this as well? That's of one course point. we can. Uh, but of course, uh, this is not something that is uh, the express domain of women alone. And uh, also, you know, I could ask you then, Arthur, so why are you calling to talk about women's issues? It, yeah. It's not something that yes, exactly. is Exactly. I find peculiar. that ironic, but I have to, I have to mention this. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I don't find it ironic because if women want to talk about it, they can. Prof has written something about it. I'm engaging him on that. And that does not mean that everybody else is excluded from the discussion. Yeah, okay, my second point is that we get so few women callers on the on these talk shows. Why is that? Why do women not phone in? That's a good question. That one is a good question. But as you heard this morning, at least we had more female callers than we usually do. But that's a good question. I don't know why female uh, listeners don't call into talk shows because they do contribute on our social media platforms. You can see them. But as for calling in, I'm not sure what that is about. But I'll get Professor Figeni to respond to uh, the issues that were raised, uh, the points that you've made after this. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Speaking to uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Suma Dota Figeni this morning, and uh, we're talking about the gender agenda and asking whether the appointment of women into powerful positions would necessarily translate into the advancement of that agenda. And uh, Prof, before I take more calls, can I just get your response to the issues that were raised before the break? Well, I do think that before we start torturing women, we should remember that hegemonic power structures do work even for the male side where you do have, for example, race. You may have a black CEO in a company that is still predominantly white. They are sometimes fronting if they do not have a muscle to transform. So it's not just a matter of women being weak. It's the nature of hegemony and how it responds when it's being forced to transform. And the second one... An entrenched patriarchy, institutionalized patriarchy. Certainly. Remember, this is thousands of years of a socialization system reproduced, and that's why we ought to pay a closer attention to some of our mass communication spaces and mass socialization spaces such as media, your Internet, and apps which are there, and our education system to see what are they reproducing at this stage, including games, just ordinary games 
and ups that you see there, you still see some degree of patriarchy being reproduced in many ways. And uh, the issue of a glass cliff, it's more likely to be a glass cliff where women are brought in to clean a mess that has been created by Mm. a patriarchal system. And they are more likely going to be crucified very easily, as you saw with the president of Brazil. It was very easy, swift and brutal to take her out and even destroy any credential that she may have had. Uh, Not also realizing that she came to power at the time when the global economic crisis was coming to play. And now she's being blamed for all kinds of problems in Brazil. And ironically, some of the men rising to power to replace her are accused of corruption. Mm. Let's take a few more calls. 891-104-208. Let's hear from Heather in Santon. Good morning, Heather. Um, Good morning, Sakina. Um, I take highly favorable comments to your previous caller who wants to know why there are not enough women who actually call in um, to air their opinions and views. Um, Yeah, on many occasions I thought, gosh, it's always men that call in. Um, Perhaps it's because we we cut to the chase, women do. We we really do not stand around um, like men do, chatting and pointing fingers. We actually don't have time time in our lives to do that. And it's very sad that um, there's always comments made about women. It's great that women are actually coming to the fore. Mm -hmm. I like what the professor is saying. And I only hope that the professor gets an opportunity to air more views on SABC um, before he's also um, crunched up and thrown up. (laughs) Thank you, Sakina. Goodbye, Heather, on that note. <laughs> Let's speak to Unati in Kailicha. Good morning. Is this our Unati from Twitter? Yes, Akina. Good morning, Unati. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to say that close to my heart is the girl child. Um, I feel that most households are held are, are led by women, and if we focused more on the girl child, yes, not forgetting the boys. But the problem with teenage pregnancy is that it takes girls back and they have to stop going to school and then the girl, the boys who impregnated them or the men, their lives continue. So if we empower girls more and uh, we'll ensure that we have good quality leadership of women uh, when they're older. Thank you. Thank you so much, Unati. Nice to hear Unati's voice. She's also contribu- always contributing on Twitter, so it's nice to hear her voice for a change. Uh, Norma is in Johannesburg. Good morning, Norma. Uh, morning, Zakina. It's Norma Craven speaking. Um, uh, Zakina, I don't hear the professor mention one very important word, and that's the word of class. He mm-hmm. talks about women as if they are a homogenous group. Now, the fact is that it, Theresa May doesn't operate, for instance, as an individual. She represents a political party with its roots in the protection and promotion of capitalism. And if Theresa May were to turn up and say, well, I think we can get out of Brexit by nationalising the banks and the insurance companies, she wouldn't be the Prime Minister for long. Not because she's a woman, but because she's not representing the interests of the dominant class in society. And I don't know what having people in those positions does. For, for instance, how many less women are raped in South Africa? because um, 
we happen to have the chairmanship of the EU. Mm. How many women actually um, have escaped this uh, double uh, treble um, effect of being exploited as workers and then because of patriarchy exploited as women when they get home? I would say very, very few. We can't even get a decent maternity system in place in South Africa for women, which would allow women, for instance, to be able to keep jobs, to be able to go back to jobs, to be able to go on working. Class is at the very nature, the very basis of gender discrimination. Great point there, Norma. We'll get Prof's response. But before that, let's speak to Nelly in Pretoria. Good morning, Nelly. Good morning, ma'am. Uh, Sakina, I would like to weigh in on the issue of our entrenched patriarchy. Please do. Yes. Uh, these days, we have uh, a system which gives and takes. For example, women now can open their businesses, can open their companies because of the legislation and everything. However, because of lack of resources, the women or women companies cannot grow or grow faster. So that they be, they build their culture. I know a lot of women who started companies or who have the urge to start a businesses, so they can grow a culture which supports women or support even uh, boys who are born of women. But because of lack of resources, they can't move forward. The few who try to forge and move forward, you find that because of the lack of a pool to get women, they get um they get recruited in other positions. They leave those companies or leave those structures or even NGOs. They're started to people who cannot afford uh, to take them forward so that they can entrench the right culture. Okay. Thanks so much, and Nelly. Prof, you have about a minute and a half to wrap it all up in response to uh, what uh, the listeners have raised there. Um, interesting point by Norma about the class interests, especially, and Unati about, you know, the family structure and how uh, we essentially um, basically replicate the roles that women are supposed to be in and maintain the status quo. I agree with both. In fact, the class is a very important factor. I made an allusion to the domestic worker, where I said sometimes you do have a woman who belongs to another level who may oppress a domestic worker who is a woman. I was trying to bring a class dimension on a micro level. And also the domestic or the family structure it is where most of your socialization and the reproduction of patriarchy, patrilineally, uh, systems are produced. So it is also one area that we should be looking at. But very quickly, I do want to remind South Africans that there were institutions that were headed by highly respected men, such as the IEC. Then when you brought in women like Brigalia Bam, Togombomlwana, and uh, Pensin Tlakula, they put IEC into the global map. Uh, therefore, they once given an opportunity, they can perform public protector. Do you still remember who were the men before Tulima Donzella? Many of you may not remember, but it simply shows that sometimes women do make a mark. And uh, sometimes such a mark is purely leadership, but sometimes it is a gender-conscious leadership. 
Well, Prof, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. But I think a lovely entry into this particular discussion, given uh, what we are seeing and the um, proliferation of women into powerful positions, not just in this country, but across the world. Uh, it's going to be a conversation that I'm sure we will revisit time and time again. But thank you so much for your time this morning. My pleasure, and also I wish uh, South Africa a happy 60th anniversary of Women's March on Pretoria come August. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Somatota Fikeni, policy and political analyst uh, who was in our Pretoria studios. And great to hear all the female voices this morning. Hope to hear more of you as we uh, move along. And of course, uh, Masichaba Mtolo coming up next, another woman uh, uh, after this, uh, but she'll be followed, uh, we will be followed rather by the nine o'clock news with Kumbuzile Tabete.